Welcome to another T-Rex Talk. This is going to be the last podcast episode of 2022. And uh, as you guys know, uh, I'm excited by a lot of stuff, technologically speaking. I'm excited by, you know, radios, uh, fancy optics, thermal and digital devices, GPS technology, lasers, stuff like that. But I'm also really excited by basic manufacturing capability for a whole bunch of reasons that uh, I will get into now. But first I want to say that as we are closing out 2022, I am extremely thankful for a lot of growth. And as as T-Rex has grown in uh, sales, uh, we've had more money to spend on expanding our product offerings. As T-Rex media has grown and there's been greater uh, audience numbers on the YouTube channels and the Instagrams and uh, also the newsletters and this uh, particular podcast as well, that has opened up a whole bunch of fascinating doors. And I really appreciate all of those things. But something that is really exciting to me that we don't often talk about is in the last few years, T-Rex has really grown in our manufacturing capabilities. Some of that is capacity and volume. Some of that is knowledge. Some of that is knowledge that we have gained by being able to hire engineers that have a great deal of knowledge. And some of that is stuff that we have learned along the way. And some of it obviously is a hybrid of all of these things together. Now we talk uh, a fair amount about our political uh, lobbying. We talk about stuff that we would like to accomplish. We try to have a positive influence uh, on the gun industry by promoting certain things like body armor and night vision and the ideas surrounding gun culture 3.0, the conversation about gun culture 3.0. But I'm actually super excited about the basic manufacturing capability that T-Rex Arms has. And let's be honest, it's not amazing. It's not super cutting edge. What we make predominantly is plastic holsters. And uh, while I've said before that it's not super hard to do, it's hard to make a bad holster, we work pretty hard on trying to improve that manufacturing capability. The constant improvement of the models themselves, the ability to make holsters. And so what we have now is a much better understanding of how to make stuff. And the ability to make stuff is incredibly important for a whole bunch of different reasons. Now, one of the things that I did this year is a lot of historical research on firearms technology and the development of different firearm platforms. This was for the YouTube video, Why Everybody Needs an AR-15. And then later, I did a whole lot more research on specifically 1850s and 1860s for uh, that Oregon hearing. But I want you to go watch a video. I'm gonna link to a video from Forgotten Weapons talking about Civil War technology. Somebody is asking Ian McCollum, what Uh, is the deal with Civil War technology. Why did it not improve faster? Why was the Civil War era technology, uh, specifically weapon technology, firearm technology, repeaters, Henry rifles, stuff like that, why was that not more quickly adopted by the militaries? Compared to a lot of other times in history, uh, I would say that military technology and new tactics were adopted very quickly and developed very quickly during that war uh, between northern and southern states. 
If you look at the beginning of the Civil War and the end of the Civil War, you see a tremendous amount of new stuff being done. The Federal Army has an Air Force, for crying out loud. They're doing aerial observation, spotting for artillery uh, from balloons. There are contact detonation shells being used in very cool ways. Uh, naval artillery on rivers, gunboats being used incredibly effectively. Oh, not to mention ironclad ships in combat. Massive blockades, barbed wire emplacements, trench warfare, uh, rapid troop movements using trains. Um, both sides use this very effectively. And light infantry and cavalry tactics that we still use today. A lot of these things were developed in the course of that war. And while there is uh, still to this day some snobbery from the Europeans about, oh, the colonials fighting one of their brutal civil wars, backwoods barbarians, there was actually a huge amount of technological advancement that happened there in a whole bunch of different areas. But that being said, it is fair to point out that adoption of some of the most cutting-edge small arms was very slow. It was much faster in the private sector than in the military sector, and there's a bunch of reasons for this. One of them is that uh, the private sector is always going to move faster than the public sector. It's always going to be more nimble, and it's always going to be better at assessing their own market needs than the second or third hand understanding of market needs by, you know, the big faceless government bureaucrat types. But Ian McCollum makes the point in the video, which I think is extremely important, that logistics are also a huge factor in this particular question. During the course of the war, manufacturing capability was very limited. It was limited in the north, it was far more limited in the south, and the people who were in charge of acquiring new weapons for both of these armies had to very carefully limit what they were actually doing so that the manufacturing capacity of the private sector factories could keep up. And I'm sure that each side had its share of stick-in-the-mud quartermasters and trainers who did not want to upgrade to new technology because of all the headaches that it would cause in the supply chain and the manual of arms and the training and the blah, 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 blah. But there is a very real limitation on how many of different kinds of firearms you could create. But I'm going to guess that the manufacturing capacity of the New England gun companies was such that they could make... 10 breech-loading muskets for every Henry rifle. So it makes sense for them to order a large number of breech-loading muskets instead of a small number of magical new Henry rifles. Now, they could obviously have ordered a large quantity of Henry rifles, but at this point, everybody had to be very realistic about what was actually possible to be produced. And remember that the blockade that I mentioned before really severely limits the South. The South uh, was unable to order some of the really advanced stuff because they just weren't able to make all the things that required. So the blockade limited some of the materials that they had on hand. Because there were no copper mines in the southern states, there was no capability for them to make brass. That really limited the primer uh, percussion cap production that they had, and it really stopped them from getting into the manufacture of these new metallic cartridges. So even when they captured Henry rifles, they had to capture the ammunition for them. They had no real way to be part of this brand new tech tree of metallic cartridges because they couldn't make brass. As a nation uh, locked in combat, there was an entire tech tree that had essentially been denied them. 
And while a blockade of that size is pretty unique, ideas and inventions have always been limited by manufacturing capabilities and basic material science. History is full of ideas that couldn't really be implemented or mass-produced or adopted by large numbers of people until manufacturing technology can catch up. And guns have always been a really good example of this. We have examples of breech loaders <laughs> and repeating wheel locks way back into the 1500s. But they don't get mass produced and they don't get adopted by large numbers of people until the 1800s. This is one of the things that we spent a lot of time on during that Oregon hearing. I don't want to speak directly for the attorneys for the state of Oregon and figure out exactly what they were trying to say, but it seemed like they were making the case that because firearms that had the capacity uh, to hold more than 10 rounds were not in common manufactured use in Oregon, uh, they shouldn't actually be allowed to be in Oregon today. You can go back and listen to the podcast about what my position is, but the fact that these guns were not widely manufactured in the year 1859 does not mean that the ideas for high-capacity magazines and magazine-fed firearms don't exist. There are many, many examples of this just waiting for the manufacturing technology to catch up. Now, historically, when inventions and ideas and cultural trends and manufacturing technology all happen at the same time, Changes follow very quickly. A good example of this uh, would also be in the 1500s when Luther began translating the Bible into common German at exactly the same time that Gutenberg invented his movable type printing press. And it just so happened that mechanized paper mills became a thing at the same time. If any of these three massive developments hadn't happened at the same time, the other two would not have been massive developments. And the massive cultural shift of the Reformation also probably wouldn't have happened then. I probably don't need to say probably, because there are historical examples of people messing around with movable type printing, and it just doesn't go anywhere if cheap paper isn't available. And there's plenty of proto-Reformation guys like the Waldenses who just were unable to gain cultural traction without some way to more widely disperse their ideas. So I guess my point is, no matter how good your ideas are, whether they are cultural, ideological, theological, or really cool weapon inventions, they are very much bound by logistics and manufacturing. That decentralized constructive capability is a really, really important thing for the promulgation of ideas or tools. And I think a key component of this is scalability. So monks copying the Bible by hand is great, but it is not scalable. German craftsmen making multi-shot, fully automatic wheel locks in the 1580s is fantastic, but also not scalable. It's the very boring, mundane, everyday manufacturing technology that comes along, which makes guns better, makes books better and cheaper and more widely available and all that that implies. Now, in and of itself, that's not necessarily a good thing. You could spread good books or bad books. You could use those firearms to do good things or bad things. All technology is a double-edged sword, but if you want powerful tools for doing powerful good, that really basic, often boring, 
manufacturing capability is an absolute necessity. The logistics matter. You know, which is one of the reasons that I still say that the Air 15 is the best weapons platform to be using at the moment. It's nothing new, but the manufacturing capability that backs the AR-15 platform is phenomenal. In the 60 years that the AR-15 platform has been around, local, decentralized, highly scalable manufacturing has gotten really good at all of the bits of manufacturing that an AR-15 requires, which means that it is a phenomenal platform to support from a manufacturing standpoint. The ammunition, like in the 1860s, is a little bit trickier, but again, this is something that is relatively well supported. That makes it an extremely robust piece of technology that is really easy to recommend and to adopt, even though you could, and plenty of people right this very moment on the internet are, making the argument that something that's way more cutting edge is way more better. And as soon as the manufacturing capability is there, they will be right. So that's why I get excited about T-Rex getting better at making stuff. I appreciate all the opportunities to tinker with uh, fancy technology, to do political lobbying, to develop media, to talk to people. All these things are great, and I am so grateful that we get to do it. But the making stuff really, really matters. The fact that we have a bunch of people in the shop who are getting better at making stuff is really exciting. It's something that doesn't get talked about enough, and I just think it's a really big deal. And it's not just a big deal for weapons and for warfare, although that's when you really stretch your logistics to the breaking point usually, so that's when it gets a lot of focus. But just basic economic capabilities are tied so tightly to manufacturing. Manufacturing tools and capabilities and capacity is just a really big part of wealth generation and stability for cultures and for nations. So even though, again, T-Rex Arms is bending plastic, nothing super fancy, the fact that we're getting better at it and learning from it and developing the tools that are necessary to develop our own tooling and our own electronic components and our own automation, all of these things are lessons that we can apply elsewhere. And everybody that comes to work at T-Rex Arms and learns more of that stuff is a greater and more useful piece of the larger Hickman County manufacturing capacity. <laughs> and obviously Hickman County is pretty small, but the more powerful Hickman County's manufacturing capability is, the better that is for Tennessee. And likewise, the better that is for the bigger countries. So here at the end of 2022, I just wanted to call it out as one of the cooler things that uh, we talk about less. And some of the unsung heroes at T-Rex that don't get quite as much screen time as everyone else. The product developers and engineers and production people at T-Rex have grown tremendously over the last couple of years. It's one of the most exciting things at T-Rex, and I'd say that that is one of the most exciting things, period. And even outside of T-Rex, watching a greater focus on manufacturing capability here in the United States, a desire to make more stuff locally, and improvements on manufacturing technologies like CNC machines and 3D printers, that is extremely cool. That is something that is really encouraging to me for the future, and I thought it was a great thing to talk about briefly at the end of 2022, something that we should be looking forward to uh, as we make plans 
for 2023. So that is the end of another year of T-Rex Talk podcast episodes. We have plans for the future uh, of the podcast that I hope you guys will enjoy. But I would say that uh, your homework assignment for this week, the end of the year, is to give some thought to the local manufacturing capability of your county. What are the things that you can make locally? And figure out if there's things that you can accomplish, whether you're somebody with ideas and inventions, uh, whether you're someone with knowledge and skills, or whether you're someone who can just really do a job excellently, and really think about applying that toward the manufacturing capability of your community, as well as that uh, emergency side of things. That's all for this week, and I guess that's all for this year. Have a great new year, and thanks for listening.